last eight weeks, we've been on a journey about his image. In his image, that's been our focus for these past eight weeks. What it means for us to be the image bearers of God. In his image is an incredible truth when we think about this amazing truth that God has created us in his image and every human being is created in the image of God. Thankful for the incredible redemption the Lord has given us as he redeems us as his image bearers. That's the part of the great salvation plan as we're redeemed as his image bearers. We've talked about that. The responsibility we have as his image bearers to make him known and to be good testimonies of who he is. We've talked a lot about respecting God's image, the image of God in other people. And last week, uh, Joe talked about how we as a body of believers reflect the image of God and we help each other grow in that image of God. Well, this morning, I want us to end this series of messages by talking again about this incredible process of being renewed in his image. I've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. We've had our missions conference and then I was away. But I want us to understand what this process is all about as we are renewed in his image, understanding what God is doing in our lives and how we are to respond to what God is doing. Now, our text for this has been Romans chapter 8. Let's look there again. Romans chapter 8, one of uh, most beloved passages and certainly should be as we think about what it shares regarding what God is doing in our lives. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now notice, his purpose. God has a purpose in our salvation. Here's how that purpose was worked out. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, the focus here, once you see in verse 29, is on God's purpose. His purpose is to conform us to the image of his son. His purpose is not just to get us to heaven to be with him. His purpose in his great salvation is to truly make us what we were created to be, the image bearers of God, to be like his son, who is the perfect image bearer of almighty God. Now you notice God's divine activities are in this. Things that God alone can do. God foreknew us. That is, he knew us in a love relationship before the creation of the heavens and earth. He knew his people. And then the Bible says he predestined them. He marked them out as his own. It says that those that he predestined, he called. And that is the call that 
draws people to Jesus Christ. That's not just hearing the words, but it is the hearing of the truth empowered by the Spirit that draws a person in faith to Jesus Christ. And those that he called, he justified. That is, he declared them righteous because of the perfect atonement of Jesus Christ, who on the cross became our sin. And on the cross, he gave us his righteousness. Our sin put to Christ's account, his righteousness put to our account, we're not just made neutral, we're made righteous with the righteousness that's not our own, but the righteousness of Christ. What a savior, right? And those that he justified, he also glorified. God does that. Those are his actions. But notice, we have one area where we have personal participation. We cannot foreknow ourselves. We cannot predestine ourselves. We cannot call ourselves. We cannot justify ourselves. We certainly cannot glorify ourselves. But we are participants in his purpose in being conformed to the image of his son. We are not neutral chess pieces on a global divine chess board. We are participants in the work of God on this earth and we are participants in the work of God in our very own hearts. Isn't that awesome? Now, how do we facilitate God's process? The question then is how do we facilitate? How do we participate in what God is doing? And I've shared with you there's three primary personal ways that we respond to what God is doing. Three primary personal ways. Let's consider them again. I've given you two words. We're going to have three words, but let's remember the two words that I've given to you. The first word is the word adoration. Adoration. We facilitate God conforming us to the image of his son we are involved in that process as we are worshiping him. Now this is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Would you like to turn over a few pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 3? That's page 965. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16. Here's what Paul writes about our participation in the work of God and the result that it has in us. He says, verse 16, but when, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And that veil is the unbelief, the, the mind that cannot understand. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, now this veil is, of unbelief is removed. And we, with all unveiled face, are beholding the glory of the Lord and are being transformed 
into the same, note the word, image. Whose image? The image of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You see, what Paul is saying here is that we are renewed as God, God's image bearers in his presence. Did you notice the action and the response? What's the action? As we are beholding, as we are beholding the Lord, what is that? That's adoration, that's worship. As we are beholding the Lord, what is happening? We are being transformed into his image. Now that word transform, you remember, it, it's the word metamorphosis. While we are worshiping, while we are adoring the Lord, we are being changed from the inside out so that more and more the new us, the real us in Christ is coming forth literally into our very personal existence. We are being more and more conformed to the image of his son. That's what's happening while you're truly worshiping. That's the reason I don't understand why people come to church with a downcast, depressed, bored attitude. Because if you're truly coming not just to church, but you're coming to worship, here is an absolute fact. You're not going to leave the same person who came in. You will be changed. And that's not just when we gather in worship, but when you are consistently having time with the Lord, you are being changed. You're becoming like Moses who was in the presence of the Lord. He came down with his face shining, and guess what? He didn't even know his face was shining. You may not be aware of the transformation, but people around you are observing it and it is all to the glory of Christ. In his presence, we are being transformed. Adoration. Now the second word that I've given you, and I want to focus on again, is the word cooperation. The word cooperation. It has to do with our will. Our will. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12, if you would. Romans chapter 12, if we turn there. We must cooperate with God. Now, only, remember, only God can redeem a life. And only God can really restore a life. Only God can really renew a life. But we are not neutral in that promise and that process. We're not just to say, okay, God... If it's your will, let me have it. <laughs> just, just zap me real good. It, we're, not, we're not to be Christians thinking of life as Christians who are, some are the zapped and some are the unzapped. No, we are participants. We, we have been found by the Lord and now having been found by the Lord, we're to seek the Lord. We're to pursue the Lord. He has us, and yet we are pursuing him at the same time. That's the mystery of being a Christian. But we are to cooperate. 
Now, how do we cooperate? Well, listen to what Paul says. He talks about this great salvation. Romans, this incredible letter about the truth of our salvation. Now, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do with this incredible truth of God's grace in our lives? Verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We are to cooperate with God, how? First of all, by relinquishing relinquishing control. Therefore, based on what the Lord has done for you in Christ, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We cooperate by relinquishing control. We cooperate, notice verse 2, by resisting. Do not be conformed to this world, Paul says. Literally, stop letting the world press you into its mold. Stop being conformed. Resist. Resist the pressure to conform. And what? Be renewed. We cooperate by renewing. We cooperate with what the Lord is doing. We're relinquishing control. We're resisting the pressure of the world by God's grace. And then we are cooperating by Agreeing with his renewing in our life. Look at verse 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be, what's the next word? Transformed. That's that word metamorphosis again. Be transformed. Let this incredible change take place. Cooperate with this by the renewing of your mind, by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We are to cooperate with God by renewal, by allowing him as we cooperate with him to carry out the process of renewing our mind. The truth is, folks, our problem, really, our big problem is right between our ears. <laughs> now, I didn't say your problem was your ears. I've had a problem with that all my life. But between your ears, it's the mind. We talk about the heart, but the heart really is right here. It is, it is our mind, and our mind needs a renewal. It needs a renewal. The, the mind needs a renewal. It needs to be washed. Some people say, well, you know, I don't believe in brainwashing. Well, I don't know about you, but mine needs a good one. How about yours? Regularly. 
The renewing of your mind. How does God renew our minds? How does he change our minds? He does it the way Jesus said it would be done. You remember this? John chapter 17. Listen to Jesus as he prays. Here's what Jesus said. John 17 verse 17. He was praying to the Father. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them. Make them holy. Set them apart. It is the idea of renewal. Change them. Make them what they are not. Make them more like yourself. And he does this, Jesus says, by your truth, your word is truth. Notice he didn't say your word is true. He said, your word is truth. Your word is truth. Folks, listen. We have the truth. The truth. Not just that the Bible is true. It's truth. It is the mind of God. It's the revelation of his great mind. It is a guide for our living. This is our compass. It is the truth. And it is a power to renew us as we are focused on the truth. Now, Jesus prayed about that, but I want you to look back and look back now, chapter 8, John chapter 8. Jesus didn't just pray about the truth, he also preached about it. He preached about the truth and what the truth would do in our lives. In Romans chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus said in one of his messages, You will know the truth, and what? The truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. We live in an age, because it does not believe in absolute truth, thinks thinks that truth puts you in bondage. That if if you know truth, Truth is going to keep you bound and you're not going to be all that you could be if you're dominated by some form of truth. Does that sound like anybody you read about in the early chapters of the Bible? That is exactly the lie of the devil. If you believe what God says... If you limit your activities or you are guided by what God says, you are not going to be free. And Jesus, in this very chapter, said that Satan is a what? Liar. He's the father of it. He said, you will know the truth and the truth will bring you freedom. The truth does not bring bondage. The truth brings freedom. So folks, follow me. As you are in the presence of God in worship, and you're in the presence of God with the word, what is the Lord doing? 
He is molding you into his image. He is guiding your past into his image as you are before him in worship and you are before his word. You are being changed into the image bearer he wants you to be. My friend, anybody can do that. Anybody can choose to worship the Lord. Any Christian can choose that. Any Christian can say, I'll have the word in my heart. I will get before the Lord. I'll get into his word. That is where the change takes place. How do we cooperate with God? First word, adoration, our worship. Second word, has to do with our cooperation, our will, as we are in worship, submitting to his word. Now let me give you the third word. The third word is a word that also changes us. It is the idea of living in expectation. Living in expectation, that is we're waiting we're waiting before the Lord. It's, it's not like inactivity. No, I'm talking about a very active waiting. But it is as we are waiting for the Lord that we are being changed. He is changing us internally as we are in worship and as we are before the word, but let me tell you the change is going to happen. He's not just going to change us internally and is it changing us internally. The truth is God's going to change us externally and eternally, right? We are going to be changed and that's the reality of our resurrection hope. Our resurrection hope. We're not all we're going to be. We're not all we're going to be because there is a resurrection hope, the reality of it that has been given to us. And as we are focusing on that reality, we are being changed. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll ask you to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, one of the great passages in the Bible on the resurrection. And we're talking here about the reality of our resurrection hope. Reality and hope are not in contradiction. Not when you're a Christian. You know what we're told? Well, there's reality and then there's hope. Well, if you're a Christian, reality is your hope. Because hope is not wishful thinking. It's not wanting something to happen. Hope is steadfast assurance of what is going to happen because God has said it's going to happen. And that is our hope. It's the reality of our hope. It's the hope of the resurrection. The hope of what's going to happen when the Lord Jesus Christ gives us that final change. And I want us to think about that change of our resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is probably the great chapter on the Christian's resurrection in all the New Testament. But I want you to think about the change that's going to happen. 
Anybody think I need to be changed? Anybody think, you know, even some of you have been Christians for years, are you just thinking, Lord, as we sang this morning, I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Anybody feel that way? Anybody feel that way? Come on, folks. God bless you. I know it's spring break. Eh? But don't take a break. Does anybody feel that way? Thank you so much. These bright lights, I can't tell if I'm the only one awake or maybe you're all taking a nice nap. What is going to happen in this change of our resurrection? What are, we, what are we looking forward to? What are we hoping for? What are we expecting? This is what we're expecting. Notice, we're going to be incredibly changed. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be incredibly changed. Verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. That's talking about us, our bodies. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, this physical body that we have. But it is raised a spiritual body. Now, it does not say raised as a spirit in the resurrection. We're not raised as a spirit, but we're raised with a spiritual body. That is a body fitted for the spirit world to which we're going. The world of the spirit, the world of the kingdom of God we will be changed and given a body, a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Our bodies are going to be changed. And don't you thank God for that? Some of us are going older and we see the sag, bag, and drag that's going on. I'm ready for the new edition. How about you? This one's just about worn out. Our bodies will be incredibly changed. But then notice, our image is going to change. Our image is going to change. We're going to have an image makeover. Extreme image makeover. Look at verse 45. Here it is. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. God formed him. A living being. The last Adam, that is Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. That doesn't mean that Jesus came as a spirit or that he rose again as a spirit. What it means is he rose again. He was life-giving in his spirit. He's a life-giving spirit. The first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first. It's The natural is first, the body first, then the spiritual body. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man, that's Jesus, he's from heaven. Let's read on. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. We are dust. 
and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Yes, we are dust, but we have had what Jesus has given us as a life-giving spirit. He has given us the new birth. We are God's children. We are his heavenly people down here on earth in these earthly bodies yet. Now here's the promise. Just as we have born, what's the next word? Image. Just as we have born the image of the man of dust, just as we have born the image of Adam. And don't we feel that? Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear, what's the next word? The image of the man of heaven. We will perfectly bear his image. Now that's a change we can look forward to, right? It's going to be an incredible change of our bodies and our very image. And then when this change finally happens, listen, it's not a lingering process. The far eastern religions talk about cycles, cycles of reincarnation, gradually from lower to higher forms. That's not how it's going to happen, my friend. This change, when it finally happens, this final change is not a lingering process, but friends, we are going to be immediately changed. <laughs> immediately changed. How immediate is immediately? Verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Now, a mystery is something that's never been revealed before. A mystery is not something hard. Not in the New Testament. A mystery is something that has never been revealed but now it's being revealed. And so listen up. Paul says, behold, I am revealing to you something that's been hidden. We shall not all sleep. We're not all going to go to the grave. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, you know what that word is? Adam. Not A-D-A-M, Adam, atom, A-T-O-M. In an atom of time, we will be changed in an atom of time in the twinkling of an eye. Now the word twinkling there doesn't mean the blinking of an eye. Twinkling here means when light is reflected off of your eye. That quickly, in an atom of time, in a moment like the reflecting of light off an eye, the last trumpet will sound. The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. That's that heavenly body. That's that spiritual body, the body for the world to come. 
It will be given to us in an atom of time. It will happen in a twinkling of an eye. Those dead and those who are alive will be changed. Praise God. And it's going to happen in a moment, but it's not just going to last for a moment because notice, we're going to be immediately changed, but we're going to be immortally changed. <laughs> Immediate, but immortal. Verse 53, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal must put on immortality. We are going to put on immortality. There will be no more death. Immortal. Alive forevermore. Now what a hope, friends, right? What a hope and it's a hope that as we are focusing on that hope, if, if this is the source of our hope, we are being changed. Results are happening. It, this isn't just something as you really believe that the Lord is going to come and he's going to resurrect you and you're going to be changed. That brings some powerful results in your life. Not just waiting for it to happen, but knowing it's going to happen and looking forward to it happening, it begins to change you. What kind of changes does it make? Well, it, it, it makes you able to face everything differently. You face everything differently. When you know that your hope is the reality of the resurrection, you face everything differently. You, you face death differently. You have praise facing death. Look at verse 54. When this perishable, that's this body, puts on the imperishable. When this mortal, that's this body, puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in what? Victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. Sin's been dealt with by Jesus. The power of sin is the law, the law that we couldn't keep, the law that we couldn't fulfill, the law that we broke. Guess what? Jesus took care of that too. He kept the law for us. And he accepted death for us. And now we can face death saying, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? I remember riding back from church as a little boy once. We had the windows down. And as we were coming back from church, a bee flew into our car. And that bee landed on me and not thinking it through, <laughs> I swatted at that bee. All I did was made that bee mad. 
very mad. <laughs> and the bee stung me on the hand. But after it stung me, it started flying around in the car. And I said, oh, that bee stung me. Oh, and I started wailing. And it started flying around the car. And everybody in the car started waving at it, sweating at it. They had their, they had their Bibles and they're flopping at it. it. It looked like a Pentecostal Plymouth going down the road. There were Bibles and hands and hands up. You wouldn't have thought we'd been to a Baptist church acting like that. But you know what? Everybody in the car was so terrified of something that had no danger. You know why? Because the stinger was in my hand. Friend, I want to tell you, death flies around us. Death can scare us. But think about it. Why should we fear death when the stinger of death has been put in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ? And he has overcome death. We can have praise facing death. We can have a purpose facing life. Look at verse 58. If you believe in the resurrection... If you believe that you're going to be changed, if you believe that you really are going to be different than you are now, you know what? It makes you want to start being different. It wants you to get in on the process right now. Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, therefore, because of the resurrection, because you will be changed, because your natural body is going to have a spiritual body. Because Jesus is coming back and you're going to be changed in an atom of time. In the twinkling of an eye. Because death has been conquered and it has no sting for you. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Friends, the idea that people have become Christians, have become followers of Jesus, and because they know that, they're content just to float through life till they get to the promised land absolutely is not true. A person who has that attitude has never experienced the saving grace of Christ. Has never known the redeeming power of a new nature. A person who has been born again, who has Christ and the hope of Christ and eternal life. That person knowing he or she is going to heaven, is going to be resurrected, says, I want to live like I'm headed there right now. Is that you? In your heart, is there a motivation to live a life as an image bearer of Christ? If we really believe he's coming and we're going to be changed, we should live with praise, yes, facing death and a purpose facing life but also, let me just close here, purity 
facing Christ. We're, we want to live a pure life because we know that Jesus is coming and we're going to see him. Incredibly beautiful, powerful words from the last of the apostles. The last of the apostles, John. Here's what he wrote in 1 John chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called the children of God and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. An image bearer. Because we will see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Wow. Think about that. What a revelation. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God and that's who we are. That's who we really are. And, and what an anticipation of what, we're, what we will be when he comes. We don't know exactly what we're going to be like, but we do know that when he comes, we will be like him. We will see him as he is. And what a motivation. It makes us want to be who we really are and live and be the person we truly want to be. We purify ourselves, not because we're afraid Jesus is going to get us, not because we're trying to make ourselves acceptable to him. We're accepted in him by his grace. But if we have this hope, we purify ourselves. A few weeks ago, my wife Susan had a surgery. She had a partial knee replacement, and she's doing very, very well. I'm blessed to that. Thanks for prayers. Many of you knew about it and praying for her. Uh, I've been the ice man for a few weeks. <laughs> I've been one of Weigel's most faithful customers. But some of the ladies decided they were going to bring meals. And they said, we're, we're going to bring them for a month. I thought, praise God. That's, that's a month. It's going to be, man, a month of meals. Amazing. And thankful for every, everyone that did that. And then they decided, we're going to have a web page about it. And so you could go out on the web page and see what was coming for dinner at the Polson's house. I, I couldn't imagine that. That's amazing. And guess what? My grown children found out about that webpage. <laughs> it was very remarkable when they would choose to come over. <laughs> because they had seen what was for supper. Quite humbling. 
and a little irritating. <laughs> but you know what? I noticed something. We'd be waiting for the person to come bring the meal. And just knowing they're just going to bring a meal in, say a word and leave, we'd kind of look around. How's the house looking? I know your house isn't like this ever. My wife's a wonderful housekeeper, but I know your house never has any dishes in the sink. No, nothing like that. Never have anything on the countertop. No, I understand. It's just terrible folks like us. It just. But you know what? It was amazing. A few minutes before they were supposed to be here, I got interested in plates and dishes and things like that. I thought, I'll just clean up just a little. Yeah. And Susan's loving it. She's over there on ice. She can't do anything. And she's just getting a kick out of this because it's such a new thing for her to see. She's never seen this. <laughs> Got interested in cleaning things up a little because company was coming. Friends, I want you to tell you something. Company's coming. The king is coming. Maybe we need to tidy up a little bit.